Only a decade ago, there were just a few companies using the internet to research candidates. Now, with every detail of a person and a company being reviewed online, the tables have turned, and candidates can do a thorough research of a company before even applying. Whoever you are, it's sure to say that having a bad online presence can hurt your future success. And until now, we've primarily relied on our human traits to secure work, but increasingly we're seeing algorithms being used to sift and find the ideal future employee. We're coming to terms with the fact that our computers and phones are increasing their capacity. They've gone from being your calculator in class to your online teacher. This is all happening relatively quickly in human history, and it's causing serious debate about the future of work. So how can we expect work to evolve alongside tech in the next five to 10 years? And more importantly, how will education shift to prepare us for the future? Hello, and welcome back to another episode of Wise Words. During our Wise event in Paris, we sat down with three special guests, Adrienne Ledoux of Job Teaser, Pierre Dubuc of Open Classrooms, and Samir Saran of the Observer Research Foundation. Despite the statistics of AI taking over jobs, they expressed optimism on future technology and work. Let's start with Samir. And as always, thank you for listening. My name is Samir Saran, and I work uh, at the Observer Research Foundation. Uh, and for the last few years, I've been following very closely uh, the dramatic transformations uh, underway, courtesy innovation and technology, and how it implicates uh, us as people, societies, workplaces, and certainly uh, the international community. Well, I am someone who believes work is increasingly going to become more informal. It is going to be far more transformational, and it is going to be far more personal than ever before. I think the rote employment that used to give us our daily bread is things of the past. We have a whole new generation that is aspirational, a whole new generation that requires purpose, a whole new generation that requires new forms of protection, and a whole new generation that requires paychecks. Now, how do we deliver them is the big question for us going looking ahead. And certainly the 20th century formula is no longer valid. The state and the big enterprises are not going to respond to these, are not going to resolve these, are incapable of meeting these three specific needs of the millennial and the post-millennials who are going to inhabit the planet over the next few decades. So for me, paychecks, purpose and protection. How do we deliver these three Ps to uh, the billions of youth who are now looking expectantly at opportunities and the world in the days ahead? Can you talk to us a little bit more about how do you see in the future of work, how can we guarantee the protection of, of youth? And what do you mean exactly when you say the protection? You know, when you joined employment, when you were employed in the 20th century, you got like you know, certain insurances, health protections, pension plans, uh, gratuity. You were also, in many cases, treated to certain education support for your children, housing support, etc., etc., etc. There was a whole social protection ecosystem built around your employment. Now, let's fast forward to this decade. You are employed as a part-time consultant, you are a part-time Uber driver, and you are starting your own small enterprise. Which of these three is going to give you pension, gratuity, medical care, housing support, education support for your children? Which of these three will cater to these particular inputs? Probably none of them. So how do you ensure that the social protections that every human being must enjoy 
if we are to meet the sustainable development goals and more importantly if we are to achieve any degree of ethical and moral uh, living in this world who is responsible for providing these inputs to every individual and my answer is that these must be separated from the employment itself every human being must have protection available to them irrespective of their employment nature of employment terms of employment which means that for example if someone is underemployed unemployed or partly employed the state steps in the minute he is fully employed the employer steps in if he is if he is employed by three different enterprises the three enterprises share this protection cost and this is a new kind of framework that must be uberization of social protection is important if you want to live in the world of ubers social protection must be uberized and we have to create a new framework where a person is protected irrespective of his nature term and status of employment so that's the first protection the second of course is that employees were protected in the workspaces for example more recently we've been hearing this big debate about protecting keeping workplace safe for women women no sexual harassment you know protecting them from misogynist behavior patriarchy guess what in the future even as the number of women increase in the workforce and hopefully they should and that is one of the uh, common global imperatives most of them will be working in social spaces they will be sitting in cafes and uh, doing the job of the corporations or enterprises or their own companies many of them will be doing it online who is responsible for women safety in these social spaces when they came to office there was an office arrangement there was a committee in office that was created to protect them there was a legislation that kept workspaces safe the factories safe the commercial offices safe but as soon as they move to social spaces to conduct their professional lives who is responsible for their safety in social spaces this is the big challenge in the emerging world where there are socio cultural issues which will prevent families from allowing the women to go into social places without certain kind of protection so physical safety is this next question that as the economy becomes uberized or as we move towards the gig world who is responsible for physical safety who is responsible for online safety who is responsible to protect their employees from hate speech online abuse threats and intimidation in different uh, while conducting uh, their tasks is again a big question so which of these three enterprises that i mentioned above are going to be responsible for this will they have to share this or will we have to make sure that physical safety is again separated from the status term and nature of employment and i think that's the next big question that how do you protect people physically and how do you ensure that the marginalized communities are encouraged to participate the fear of participation does not come from the lack of a safe space and i think that's the big question So do you see that the governments here governments in general have to take that in or do you think individuals are those who are responsible for creating all of these different you know there are the new you know you get a pension scheme that is private or uh you figure out a way that you get your mortgage like do you do you think that individuals should bear the burden sorry or 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 government should step up or and do you think you're being too I don't know optimistic when you say government <laughs> No I I I think um <laughs> governments have typically done well at certain tasks and have not done well at certain tasks and i think providing social protection belongs to the latter basket i think it will have to be a mix of robust government direction through legislation or regulation but it will largely need the creativity of the enterprises individuals communities cities and of course big corporations to craft solutions for this new time for example the uber is doing something like that you know they had a pushback against them in europe 
and they were telling me in a recent conversation that they are finding ways of insuring the driver of giving them certain kind of protections they are uh, reaching an agreement with insurance companies the, and they are also creating satchel sized insurance products while they are driving uber they are protected for that particular time period so i think people are going to find that a new market will be created to deliver these kind of Uh, distributed and disaggregated uh, social protection products to people so i think there's a business opportunity here but it has to be based on robust legislation and a national and international recognition that social protection is a fundamental human right you cannot deny it to people now you can thereafter make sure that markets uh, work to create innovation that allows the distribution of such products but you also have to regulate those markets uh, you cannot leave the social protection at the mercy of market outcomes because both political and market outcomes normally fail people so you they need constant supervision they need robust regulation so it, it, it governments do have a a regulatory uh, role a supervisory yeah, role yeah, um yeah. advisory role depending on which system you belong to the uh, americans will do it differently the europeans will do it differently the indians might choose a different method then and the chinese will have their own formula so depending on which economic political economy you reside in you will have different levels of government intervention but eventually you will have to find a new business model to deliver social protection to all My name is Pierre Debac. I am the co-founder and CEO of Open Classrooms. Mm-hmm. Open Classrooms is a mission-driven company. I started with my co-founder Mathieu a long time ago mm-hmm. in 1999. Mm-hmm. Um, it's basically an online education platform mm-hmm. whose aim is to make education like more accessible, and especially professional education. So education leading to jobs and with a tight connection with employers' needs. So we train today three million students a month in a hundred. 40 different countries on tomorrow's jobs, tomorrow's skills like digital jobs, coding, data, digital marketing, UX design, agile, etc., etc., etc. All right. So, so you you said that you started this company a long time ago. What are some of the changes and and trends that you've seen uh, so far in the past 10, 20 years? Because you said it's it's directly related to employers' needs, correct? Mm-hmm. So what are some of the trends that you've seen changes? I think at first The pace of change mm-hmm. is accelerated nowadays. So now we say that graduates from college program would probably experience between 10 to 15 totally different jobs in her lifetime mm-hmm. in her career. Mm-hmm. So that's basically a new job every five years. Uh, so jobs and competencies behind those jobs are changing faster than ever, and jobs are a bit less. well defined let's say so employers actually struggle to define their needs in terms of jobs in terms of competencies and there is a widening gap between what employers need and what universities colleges training vocational training providers actually provide in terms of competencies on the market so it's accelerating it's widening and it concerns more and more people right now we estimate that there'll be probably a, a, around 1 billion people to be reskilled on digital skills in the next 12 years so it's it's a volume we've never experienced so far so i would say 
yeah, it's accelerating and we need to find solutions that are evolving a bit faster and that can really scale. So you envision a future of work where, from what I understand a little bit, it's more digital and it's more rapid changes yeah. and we need to come up with sort of an answer to these things. So what is Open Classroom? How is it adapting to these changes from the starting till now? Mm-hmm. So first we started in 1999. Uh, we were in middle school. We were 13 and 11 years old. So it's been a long, long journey. We created free online courses and we still do on this online platform to help some friends at first, publish them for free and did so for over 10 years parallel to our studies in middle school, in high school, in college. And it became pretty popular in French-speaking countries on IT-related areas. Uh, it became actually the reference to learn how to code in French, for example. Uh, and then after our studies, we created this company, a mission-driven company, Open Classrooms, whose mission is to make education accessible. And slowly but surely, we became the first fully online college uh, in France. So we have degree awarding power. So we offer 50 path pathways to degrees and uh, to jobs. So we, uh, we train you over 12 months, fully online, uh, on a competency-based program with projects, professional projects. So you want to become an accountant, you have to create a balance sheet. You want to become a web developer, you have to create a website, etc. And you're being mentored, coached by an industry practitioner on a one-on-one basis every single week. So it's highly personalized, high-touch program. At the end, you get an academic degree that is state-endorsed and you get the guarantee to have a job. If you don't find a job within six months, we're going to refund your tuition fees. So we match you with employers. We have a network of employers, job postings, job offers, and we match you with employers so you can have the job of your dreams. Did you get any refunds? Did you give any refunds? Not so far, and we started that two years and a half ago, the job guarantee. Oh, okay. And how do you build the different programs that you guys have in an open classroom? Is it based on the needs of the current market, or or do you have, I don't know, certain classes that you just have to, or programs that you have to do? No, so we we really start on the employer's needs. Mm -hmm. So we survey employers, we crunch job postings on the internet, we interview employers, etc etc and we create a map of jobs and competencies mm-hmm. so we have this uh, map of competencies and then we create degree programs from this map of needs and prayers needs mm-hmm. so we start from there and we go even further now by building the talent supply chain uh, for those employers so imagine you're a big bank and you want to hire a hundred data scientists in Berlin and 50 in New York it's going to be tough because actually there are not so many data scientists right now on the market so you need actually to create them so those employers will provide us with the number of jobs the competencies the locations and we will create company tailored curriculum we will find students potential students they could be 18 they could be 45 doesn't matter they don't have the skills right now but they have the potential to become so and then we train them uh, they go through the employer's hiring process and they're hired by the employer from day one of their program so it's very important it's not a job at the end it's a job from day one they have a work contract they have a salary they'll work at the company for four days a week and they'll be trained on open classrooms in a remote fully online way 
one day a week. After a year or two, they'll get their academic degree. And during so they had, they've been working in this bank, in my example, right? Mm -hmm. This is really a way to bridge the skills gap. On one hand, employers who, which have this huge talent gap, huge talent shortage. And then on the other hand, school dropouts, job seekers, people willing to reskill and switch careers. And we, we strongly focus on, uh, on people who are most in needs in when it comes to employability. So it could be school dropouts, it could be people with disabilities or living in underprivileged areas, veterans, etc. etc. This is this is quite interesting. So it, it goes hand in hand with the entire idea that for the future of work we need to be a little bit more agile and able to actually like reskill and open classroom provides that kind of platform. Uh, my next question for you is a bit more of a of a macro level. Do you think and it's also very general. Do you think that we're going to keep on needing to reinvent ourselves every every few decades? And do you think that it's on the individual or on governments or companies uh, to bear that? It's a very good question. So, yes, I do think that you will need to reinvent yourself every five, ten years. Um, slowly but surely. It's not like you do nothing for ten years and suddenly you, you have to like switch careers completely. No, it's going to be... It's gonna be Slow, it's a slow process. Basically, you learn every week, every day, every month, a bit more. And then if you look back in the mirror, you realize that your job today is totally different from the job you had just a few years ago, right? So I, I think this is a major global trend and it's here to stay. Then after, uh, is it your responsibility to change your employer's responsibility or the government's responsibility is probably a combination of the three. It's pretty hard, and I think there are many individual situations which could be different. At first, not everybody has an employer. You could be freelancing, you could be an entrepreneur like I am, you could be a job seeker, you could be you know, a young person, you don't have an employer yet. So somebody needs to help you, you know? So it's not always employers. Employers do have a responsibility towards their, their employees. And I think they need to invest more and more into training, creating new skills, upskilling, switching careers. And I think it's actually a competitive asset for them to have, you know, up-to-date talent and workforce. Mm -hmm. Then the government... Obviously, it's a massive social issue if you don't train, educate your citizens from a young age to even your workers. It's going to be a, a massive social issue. And we see that in many countries right now, high unemployment rate creating massive, massive social issues. Yeah, uh, it's, it is the case, case right now in France where we have roughly like 8 to 10 percent unemployment for years and yeah you have people who manage successfully to upscale and let's say enjoy this new wave of jobs and competencies and they are well paid highly qualified and they're happy about their position but you have also other folks by millions who are not so happy who are maybe unemployed or have kind of a not so well paid job and not very interesting and they're, they're stuck and they don't know how to get out from this position right and yeah I think their employers and the government have to help them. Yes, so I'm Adrian Ledoux, so I'm the CEO and co-founder of Job Caesar. 
We are the leading platform for the recruitment of uh, young talent. Uh, so we're based in uh, more than 10 countries now and are reaching more than 2 million uh, candidate young talents across uh, Europe. And basically what we do is we believe that it's very tough for uh, young uh, talents to transition from university to the business world. And so we help them in this transition. So our mission is to make sure that they find the right job uh, with a job teaser. Our, um, our opinion is that it's going to be probably tougher for uh, young talents than it is today because basically they're being told that by 2030, 85% of the jobs that will exist then don't exist today. They are being taught that uh, what they're learning at university is going to be obsolete by the time they graduate. So that's good luck with that, you know, so it can be, but they will have also more options probably. So I believe that the future will work, will entail that you will have to be adaptable and change and that it's over the time where you could have one job for your whole career. You will have to change eight, nine, ten times in your life. So be able to switch and comfortable with that because that's how I see the future of work. I would see there are two categories of skills. One is clearly the ability to be agile and to adapt quickly. Um, we know by talking to companies and through the survey that we did that uh, companies are expecting, even for the job, they propose some agility. But it's also agility to change job. So it goes both ways because if you have to change job, you will have to be comfortable with that. And some people are not and they're not being trained to change and to start from zero. So that's the first one. And the second one is clearly the ability to learn fast because if you change, you have to start from zero. So learn everything and forget everything you know. So you have to, to learn fast. What I can say is that career guidance has to be a bigger subject than it is today in the classroom. It has to be at the same level of what you teach for hard skills or soft skills in the university. You have to place career guidance at the same level. And today we see that it's not the case. And I see that in the UK, now it's more and more the case. And the whole university, everybody in university, so teachers and not only the career center, is basically responsible of preparing the employability of their students. So that's important for us. We try to build an ecosystem between universities, companies, and young talents. And we try to make this ecosystem work basically by having a better communication. And how do we do that? We do that through uh, the organization of big events uh, where we gather universities from across Europe. And it's really cool to see them sharing best practices or talking to companies because they don't have that much occasion to meet and to discuss. And of course, we do surveys like the survey we did with WISE and Ipsos, or we publish a lot of content on the matter to help those three parties to talk more with one another. another. I think... The main thing, and it was really heartening news for us, it's young talents are very optimistic. So more than, yeah, 80% of them are very optimistic about the future of work. So that was very good news and that struck us and it was very good news. But two, I would say that they also say that for more than half of them, they don't feel ready to enter the job market. And nine out of 10 said they would like more support in their career choices. So that's big figures. So there's positive and also less... Uh, Positive. Well, of course, it reminds me of a discussion I had with one university in the UK who said, okay, I'm, we are 70 in my career service, so that's a big number, but I have, I don't know, 20, 30,000 students, so I have to scale my career center, and the only solution is technology to do that. So we can see, but also in 
psychometric tests or in algorithm uh, that technology is going to play a key part. Yet, we also believe that it's not a silver bullet. And of course, it's a combination with meeting face-to-face with alumni, with events where you meet the recruiter. So we have to do a blend of both. So technology is one solution, but cannot be the only one. Young talents have to take the time to think more about yeah, the career prospects and what they really like and what they really want to do. So it goes by knowing themselves, taking the time. So that's what we want to do on Job Teaser. We want working on a three-step approach where young talents through tests can take time to understand wh- what are their skills, to reflect on themselves, then to develop the skills and then find the right job. So I would say, take the time to understand what drives you. And uh, as for the government, I, I would say that every, anything that can help universities get closer to the companies uh, can help, basically. I would say the perfect solution would be more probably data uh, communication so that universities could know in real time what are the skills needed by the companies. And today we see sometimes a mismatch between what the universities teach, what the young talents are looking for, we can be different, and what the companies are looking for. And if we manage to have, I mean, a a fully, uh, you know, good computer transparency in the data and so that university can have this information, maybe the classroom will be more adapted to the professional world. There you have it. We would like to thank Samir Saran, Pierre Dubuc and Adrian Ledoux for joining us this episode. You've heard what they have to say. So what do you think? How do you envision the future of work? Do let us know by commenting on our social media channels. You can also send us an email, which you can find in the description of this episode. If you like this episode, be sure to check out our otherwise content on our website. See you next time.